Hi, I'm Jake Parker with the What's Your Story podcast. Here I talk with my guests about their life experiences, as well as current and long-term goals, and what gets them through the ups and downs. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, and if you don't already, follow my Instagram account, at jparkerfitlife, for actionable tips daily to live a healthier lifestyle. Enjoy the show. Hello, this is Jake Parker with the What's Your Story podcast. My guest today is Shane Hubbard. He is a personal trainer from California. So I'll go ahead and let him do a little introduction and background on his end. Awesome. Thanks, Jake. Uh, and thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be on, on your podcast and to, to simply be able to talk about my story. So that's awesome. Um, I've been a, a trainer for about four years now. Uh, I didn't start as a trainer. I started kind of as a hobbyist with, with fitness. Um, Back in, you know, if you go back all the way to when I was a younger kid, I was an athlete and I was an athlete up until about college. And then, you know, obviously uh, not all of us make it to the professionals. So I, I decided to keep myself fit. And that's when I got interested in lifting weights and, and being into the, you know, the exercise space and the fitness space. And then um, I got really interested in nutrition as well. And I actually found more of a passion for that along the way. Um, and then at, uh, at that point, I, I needed a job. And so I was paying my way through college and I'll get to what I did uh, in terms of college and stuff like that. Um, then I finally became a trainer and that happened about four years ago. And I, I worked at a small commercial gym, actually it was a, actually a pretty big commercial gym uh, in central California. And then I left that gym to pursue um, a little bit more high end type training where I was able mm -hmm. to specialize a little bit more specifically. And that's where I'm at now. All right. And you said um, you want to expand on what you did for college, what you're studying, where that led you? Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So in, in college, I, I had a hard time deciding what I wanted to, to specialize in. And uh, about a year before I had started community college, I was really getting into nutrition. And it was simply just to improve my, my physical appearance. I wasn't in it because I, I found nutrition fascinating yet. But mm -hmm. um, I realized that exercise by itself wasn't going to get me to the level I wanted to get. Um, but anyway, uh, fast forwarding to when I was in college, I was trying to pick a major and I just said, you know what, well, I'll just pick nutrition because I, I know a little bit about that. It's interesting to me. And so I, I got started with that. And the first course that I took, um, the curriculum was, to my surprise, like outdated. Like I was, mm -hmm. <laughs> I was learning things that I had already learned and that had been debunked at that point. And so I was at real kind of, I was really kind of frustrated because I'm thinking I'm learning all this stuff on one end that's kind of, I wouldn't say it's cutting edge, but it's definitely more current with the research. And I'm learning something that feels like it's at least five to 10 years old, like something that we went yeah. over in early 2000 in the nineties. So I, I made a call to um, uh, the Czech Institute. So for those that want to look it up, I, I am certified through the Czech Institute, which is a holistic lifestyle coaching uh, center down in San Diego. And I called one of the guys up and I said, Hey man, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, it's really frustrating to be going to college and, and getting it, wanting to get a degree in, in nutrition and also learning what you guys are teaching me, which seems to be more cutting edge. And he said, uh, you know, to put it simply, they are behind colleges are behind and they have a different agenda. And he went into, you know, more elaborate, uh, explanation than I'll go into, but I had to make a choice. You know, did I want to get a degree in something that was older than, uh, or outdated, I should say, or did I want to learn, you know, what was cutting edge? And so uh, I made the hard decision to, after that semester, drop out of college and pursue going a, a little bit different route, at least on the nutrition end. 
And so that's what I did. And, uh, you know, obviously it wasn't an easy decision to make it, dropping out of college for me, wasn't something I had envisioned, but I also, I also felt in my gut that this was the right decision to make in the long term as opposed to the short term. And so convincing people that that was the right decision, specifically my parents was not easy, but they were supportive. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's the route that I took. And, uh, that was, that was basically the end of my collegiate uh, lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like the people that truly care about you, you know, if you explain what you're trying to do and your different goals, they're going to support you no matter what. Even if that's not necessarily what they want for you, they just want you to be happy and pursue what you're going after. So I totally understand that. Um, Absolutely. The other thing, the other thing that I thought was really interesting is that you said that the nutrition information you were learning in college was really outdated, and it just seems to me like the nutrition information kind of changes so rapidly that it it must have been really frustrating to be seeing old information, and especially just knowing that the rate at which that kind of stuff progresses. I, I was wondering the difference between the stuff you were learning uh, in your classes and then the things that you were learning outside that more interested you and you felt were more relevant. Sure. I have a perfect example of that. So I was in one of my, uh, my classes and we were going over the different types of macronutrients and I'll explain first what I was learning that was more at the forefront of what research was showing. So this is right when saturated fat become, be, started becoming something that people were less scared of, at least in science. Um, so the science world was, was having a hard time proving that saturated fat was causing heart disease. And so reluctantly, a lot of scientists or people that were producing studies were kind of on the fence. They're like, we don't have anything to prove all of this saturated fat stuff being, you know, really detrimental to our health. Mm -hmm. And I was, so, you know, that's on that end, that's what's going on in terms of like it being cutting edge. And then I was sitting in one of my nutrition classes and we were going over fats and we were, we were talking about saturated fat at one point. And she was describing, the teacher was basically describing that saturated fat is something you want to avoid at all costs, that it causes heart disease and, and cancers and all these different things. And, mm -hmm. you know, to her defense, she was just going off of the research that she was probably given on the curriculum. But um, she said, you want to stay away from saturated fats and they're, they're pretty much predominantly found in um, animal foods. And mm -hmm. so I raised, I raised my hand and I said, well, um, not to, you know, not to like stick a thorn in one side, but you can find saturated fat in things like coconut oil or in coconuts. And um, she said, you know, she kind of was taken aback a little bit and realized that she had kind of messed up and, and not explaining that. And so I, so anyway, I said, well, you know, if it's found in, in plants and animals, is it different? Like, is it more harmful in animals versus in plants? And I was, I was really playing devil's advocate, but I was really not trying to be a jerk about it. Um, and she really didn't have an answer. And you could tell that she was kind of, you know, flustered a little bit and like, oh crap. And the whole experience really woke me up to thinking, okay, you know what, if, if someone who's teaching this information isn't able to answer my questions, I might be at the wrong place to, you know, further my learning. And so at that point I realized okay, maybe this is, this is one of the first signs that I, I was like, you know what, maybe I should uh, find a different place to learn this information. Cause it feels like not to be uh, you know, egotistical, but it feels like I, I know a little bit more than the person who's teaching me the class. So mm -hmm. um, I, I decided, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the sign. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, like I said, nutrition is just, it, it really advances so rapidly. It's hard to even, you know, grasp some of the things, but um, it's, I'm sure you can relate. I think it's frustrating how often these new fads and diets come into play. Whereas, you know, if people really just took the time to educate themselves about, like you talked about macronutrients and calories and 
the different sort of health aspects of food, how much more useful that would be than trying to follow the latest fad diet or something like that. Absolutely. And there's, there's things that don't change in nutrition too, which I think is what people should focus their attention on. The problem is, is that it's not sexy, it's not flashy, and it's not different. Uh, and, and nutrition, the, the, basically, we know everything we need to know in order to have a healthy lifestyle. It's, it's hard really to get excited about something that is, you know, you've already known for 10 years, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, the reason why people like to watch the next sequel of a movie is because it's something different, right? You don't watch the same movie over and over. So I understand that. But in, but in terms of education, um, it, it really, there are some very fundamental principle-based nutrition and exercise for that matter, uh, uh, things that are rooted in, that haven't been disproven and have been tried to be dis, you know, dis disproven. And so um, what, what I try to do with my coaching is teach the basics and, and let the things that are more fad-like or like, you know, what, what, there's like a famous quote by some really smart person, but basically it goes, uh, principles are few, methods are, methods are many. And so what I like to do is teach yep. the principles and then have the, the client use methods that work best for them, but they can't, they can't do a method that goes against a principle. So anyway, that's right. the approach that I take because otherwise it gets very confusing, like you said. Absolutely. And so uh, from what I understand, you said that you kind of started out first with a more holistic approach to uh, <clears throat> a healthy lifestyle. Um, I think a lot of mental, emotional type uh, wellness things in there too. Um, how did that affect you in starting out on that path? And where did you kind of go from there? Do you still put a big emphasis on that? And how has that impacted your life and the way that you coach? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, when I, the reason why I started off with the, on the holistic end is because I was really trying to take care of myself first. And I had got the nutrition and exercise taken care of. But now I was starting to learn about the psychology and like you had said, the, the emotional intelligence and the emotional uh, you know, effects of uh, just the whole, like you, like you mentioned, the holistic aspect of everything. You mm -hmm. might have your nutrition exercise down, but you might have a really bad relationship with someone who's really close to you that affects right. your overall health. So that was the aspect that I was really interested in. I was like, wow, this is really more than just the food we, we eat and the exercise that we do. So to a certain extent, uh, I had just kind of learned it myself. And so as a coach, what I decided to do was to meet my clients or the, you know, the person that I was going to work with at their level first, which is why I, be, I decided to become a personal trainer. Um, that was going to meet people where they needed the most help. And it was going to slowly introduce them into this world of, wow, I really, there's a lot that goes into taking care of myself. And so um, that's why I got certified as a trainer. And then as a trainer, I, I knew, because this holistic lifestyle coaching was not just the emotional and the, the, the mental side of things, but it also had nutrition in, in it as well and exercise. But um, you know, that I realized that I didn't have anything that people recognized as a certification for nutrition. So I went out and got uh, a more recognizable nutrition certification so that people could look at it and go, okay, I'm going to listen to you now. And unfortunately, that's, I shouldn't say unfortunately, that's the world we live in today because yeah. it is so easy to get, you know, it's so easy to be accredited by something and, and yet still not know how to solve people's problems. So mm -hmm. anyway, that's the route I took uh, to, to basically meet the person at their level because I was talking about things that my clients at, at first were like, whoa, what do you, what? Like, I haven't even figured out how to, how to exercise properly or how to yeah. eat properly. And I just realized that it probably wasn't the best 
barrier of entry for me to cross right away. Mm-hmm. And, and trust me, it wasn't like it wasn't overwhelming for me when I mm-hmm. got started, which is what helped me understand what my client's perspective was. It's like, yeah, this is a lot to take in. Maybe we do this over the course of two years, but let's start now with just nutrition and exercise. Yeah, I know what you mean when you say, unfortunately, too, because it's kind of a struggle because, you know, you do want people to be accredited and have degrees and certifications and stuff like that to know that they're legitimate. But at the same time, on the other end, it's kind of unfortunate how you've probably noticed that there's people out there that take their sense of worth from that and sort of maybe, like you said about your uh, teacher in college, they don't know as much as you'd be led on to believe by their certification or degree. And so there's kind of both ends of the spectrum there where it's helpful, but it's also can be kind of uh, a negative aspect of it too. Yeah, absolutely. And I understand that like you know, the average person looking in, uh, we're obviously looking from the outside in, but them looking from the inside out, they, they have to trust the person pretty early on. And, and part of what accredit- accreditations do is they help build some of that trust. I, I get it. it. It makes sense. But at the same time, it's much more beneficial for trainers to just know their stuff and get the certifications that are necessary to protect them in their field, like a you know, nationally recognized certification in personal training, and then some mm-hmm. sort of up-to-date nutrition course just to stay on top of things. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, starting to kind of pivot to a different route here, I know that you talk a lot about comfort zones and breaking out of your comfort zone. And so I was wondering what exactly that means to you and how that applies to your training. And uh, also expand a little bit on, I know I saw your post that you did uh, an endurance competition recently. It looks like a Tough Mudder or Spartan race, something like that. And how that all kind of ties into your approach as far as comfort zone. Sure, sure, absolutely. So um, I, I think that most people get locked into comfort zones, not because they don't want to improve themselves, but because they're so busy and stressed out with just everyday life. And, and I think that it's, a, it's really as innocent as that. Um, it's an innocent approach in that mentality because again, yeah, we're all really busy. We, we don't have a lot of free time and, and that's understandable. So what I like to encourage people and what I like to remind them is that what you want to do to improve yourself isn't where you currently are. You're not going to just stumble upon it and trip over it. It's going to be something that's uncomfortable. And and getting people used to the idea that getting out of your comfort zone is okay um, and doing it in a sustainable way. Because I think that you can definitely take that advice and go a different route and thinking that you always have to burn yourself out at your workouts or you always have to restrict yep. your eating to a certain amount. And I and I find that more more times than not, people go to the extremes um, simply because, you know, that's, they don't have any proper training and, and, and how better to do it. And so I like to just do my best to promote that, um, in a very practical and sustainable way. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's been kind of a mantra of mine for a while is look, everything you want is outside of your comfort zone. And I'm not saying you have to solve it all today, but you're going to have to step outside of it a little bit every single day. And after a while that you're, you're, what was uncomfortable then is going to be more comfortable now. And then you'll have to take another step outside. So, you know, I think it's an ever evolving process. And then to talk a little bit about the endurance race that I had done. So um, I'm not built for endurance. I'm about five, six, and I'm just stocky. I'm, I'm built to carry muscle mass. And I recently did um, my, my genetic uh, testing to kind of see what my muscle fiber type was. And I'm full blooded uh, power lifter. So I, I, I have a lot of 
strength, muscle, muscle fibers, to keep it simple for those that are listening. Um, and so I'm just built to be a strength athlete. I'm built to lift weights. I'm built to, you know, so to go out of my comfort zone would to be anything in the endurance realm. And I, and I don't shy away from it in the sense that I'm like afraid to do it. It's just, I, if I'm prioritizing keeping my body lean, I would, I, I'm my perspective anyway, as a trainer is that you do that through weight training and nutrition. So, yeah. um, I have a friend of mine who goes to the same gym that I go to and she's been doing all of these endurance races and she wanted to formulate a team and, and, uh, kind of get like a group together. And, and because I'm one of the trainers at the gym, she's like, yeah, you'll obviously want to do it. And my biggest concern was just the, the running, the, the endurance, being able to maintain the same, you know, pace, uh, the obstacles were just fun. You know, that was my bread and butter, but, um, and so anyway, that was a really good experience. It wasn't like earth shattering or eye opening in any, in any capacity, but it was good to be able to prove myself, prove to myself that I could, you know, get past just my, my comfort zone of being in, you know, Mr. Strength athlete all the time. So mm-hmm. it felt good to know that I was a little more well-rounded than I thought I might have been and to simply just push myself to a point that I hadn't been in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the thing about comfort zones is that when people talk about pushing their comfort zones, a lot of people, sort of like we already talked about with fitness and nutrition, some people think they have to go all the way and go huge right away. But it's really just as simple as, you know, you push your comfort zone a little bit every day and you start to expand your, uh, I guess, self-confidence and courage and I guess kind of the example that I think of is like, you know, you don't have to go skydive if you want to challenge your comfort zone. It could be as simple as talking to a stranger in line at a coffee shop or something like that. Just something that you wouldn't normally do that, you know, is going to help you overall. Right, exactly. And if if you have any chance of expanding your comfort zone, meaning that you have to step outside of it in order to create things that are more comfortable, you have to start small. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, you know, if, if, if you, your comfort zone is is of heights. Maybe you know you don't go to the tallest building in your city. Maybe mm-hmm. you go to the the next tallest building to the ground and you start there. Yep. And and this is again one of those things that that people have a hard time latching onto because it sounds it almost sounds like a weakness to have to start off small. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the experience I've had as a trainer is that when I describe to people, they think that they can't do it or they think that I think they can't do it, and so that I'm giving them something smaller to do. This happens in exercise all the time. I tell somebody, hey, I want you to do five reps of this exercise. And they go, well, I could do more. And I said, I don't care if you can mm-hmm. do more. But you know, what I have done in the past is I'll tell somebody, okay, fine, do, do 10. See what happens. It's almost like a, a father and a child relationship. You know, yeah. Dad, I could, I could do this. And it's like, yeah, you probably could, but you're not going to be able to do it multiple times. And so mm-hmm. the kid proves to themselves that they can't do it. And the father goes, see, I'm, I'm not just here to, you know, <laughs> to boss you around. I know a thing or right. two. And I'm and you. And as a trainer, people pay you for your knowledge. So mm-hmm. it always kind of fascinates me when a client will challenge my methods. And I'm not saying I'm an expert, you know, I've been around for, you know, 20 plus years, but I know a thing or two. And I know this much that if you, if you try to exercise or do anything that's out of your capacity to, to keep sustainability afloat, then you're going to fail. And, and unfortunately, close to 80% of people that try to get in better shape and, and eat better. And they're all suffering from the same thing, which is they're trying to meal prep five days a week when they haven't even gotten one day down. Um, you know, and so that's, that's another message that I preach pretty regularly is it's like, look, take your ego out of the picture. Nobody cares that all you can do is eat or prep one meal a week, start mm-hmm. there 
and you know get better and and stop worrying about what other people think that's stupid that's that's juvenile to think that in my opinion and i think that no doubt. more people need to step up out of that you know you know you step out out of that mindset mm-hmm. i think that people definitely underestimate the power of just improving just one percent a day uh i think people look to make those huge jumps and they don't realize how much progress you can make just improving a little bit every day, even every week. I know that's definitely how I used to be when it came to nutrition and fitness is I'd want to see these huge improvements and kind of you hit on the comparison aspect of like, I would see the most in shape people at the gym. I would say, Oh, you know, I got to do what they're doing. I got to get on their level instead of just looking at myself and saying, how can I improve a little bit over time so that I can see big changes in the long run? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm speaking from experience. I'm not sitting on some type of pedestal, like mm-hmm. talking down on, on anyone. I mean, I've, I've been through that. A lot of professionals go through this and, and the really passionate ones want to save people all the time that it took them to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so um, another thing that kind of comes to mind is I'm sure this resonates with you is just how people find their overall happiness. And I say that based on our conversation because I think that people kind of have misconceptions about what it means to try to achieve happiness because it really does take, you know, going through that uncomfortable, uh, those uncomfortable stages and doing the hard and gritty work to really find happiness and fulfillment in yourself. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are about that and if you have any uh, thing you can speak to as far as uh, your coaching in that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people think that that dopamine hit, that exciting feeling you get in your brain when you think about the vacation you're going to have in a couple of weeks, or you think about mm-hmm. the meal you're going to have at the end of the day, that is all um, what's called short-term gratification or instant gratification. And we live in a world where we're saturated with instant gratification. If I want to go online right now and look at pictures from you know, some bodybuilder or whatever, I can do that in probably about 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if I want to learn something new about the brain, or I want to learn something new about how to cook something, or I want to learn how to fix my TV because it's broken, I can go to YouTube and watch a five minute video and and be an expert. Whereas, you know, 50, 100 years ago, that would have taken maybe a couple years to learn how to fix a TV. So Mm -hmm. we live in a world that we're constantly being bombarded with solutions to problems very quickly. And yet, our health and our happiness still exist in the delayed gratification sphere. And it's, I'll, I'll at least say this much as an, as an empathetic person that I, I get why people are having that disconnect. You're going to learn a lot of information over the course of reading a book, let's say, but it's going to be really hard to read that whole book in, in the entire day. So you have to make sacrifices in the short term that add up over time that then produce a result at the end. It's just like climbing a mountain. It's a cliche example to give, but you know, if, who's going to be happier, the person who climbs up the mountain and maybe it takes him a week or the person who takes a helicopter to the top, right? The person who takes a helicopter to the top, yeah, they might be happy that they're at the top, but there's no lasting sense of fulfillment there and there's really no basis for happiness to live. Whereas the person who climbed the mountain can literally describe every step probably it took to get there. And while it might not mean much to people from the outside, internally, that's going to create happiness. And so that's what I like to, to, to preach in terms of, you know, what, what breeds happiness. It's, it's anything that creates delayed gratification. If you're looking for happiness from Instagram, from Facebook, from, you know, anything that's, that takes less than a second, junk foods, right? You can, you can just pop off the shelf and start eating. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of unhappy. But what I've found as a holistic lifestyle coach is that if you teach people that 
this is the way it has to be and there's no shortcuts, they start becoming more conscious of that. And they start playing that in their mind and that starts becoming their, their reality. And it seems to have helped a lot with, with the whole trying to get in better shape and, and be healthier as a person, is that being a bound background fundamental uh, philosophy. Yeah, for sure. I think that a lot of it can just be summed up by just saying that you really have to try hard to combat the natural human instinct to just always try to search for pleasure, always look for those immediate pleasures because like, like you said, in the day and age we live in more than ever, it's so easy to just find immediate pleasures and it's so much more rare to really try to devote yourself to something and, you know, really strive to reach a goal or do something difficult. But that's where you're going to get your fulfillment. Right. And, and the other thing that I think is something to, you know, if we're looking at it from an empathetic standpoint, we are built or we are hardwired for instant gratification because mm-hmm. when we were evolving as human beings, we needed that in order to survive. But the, the problem is, is that today we live in a world where everything is readily available. So the mechanism in our brains that we evolved to have was very useful back when we had to hunt, gather, and find our food. Because if we could find fruit, a fruit tree, and we could gorge on that, that would be great because the chances of us us ever doing that again, are there's a lot of laps in between that. So that served us as human beings, but now we have to take the cognitive human brain approach to realize that we don't live in that world anymore. And we have to work a little bit more against our natural biology that's been living a certain way for God how knows how long. And, and now suddenly that is no longer useful. It's actually a detriment in some degree. So it's under, if I've, I've found that the more that people start to put the, put it in that type of frame, I'm not saying it's an overnight, like instant change, but they start cycling their thoughts and their feelings and, and what they decide to do through that, um, whatever you want to call it through that mindset and it Mm -hmm. starts becoming easier to make the right choice. Yeah. It's exactly like you talked about with, uh, you know, the easily available sugary, fatty processed foods. We get so much pleasure out of eating those things because like you said, if uh, our ancestors, however many thousands of years ago would have stumbled upon something like that, they're like, Oh geez, here's calories for, you know, however many days I'm going to build up some fat and be able to survive longer. And so that's a natural human tendency that we have to cognitively be aware of, like you said. So one of my last couple of questions is if you could sit down to dinner with any one person, maybe even two, if you really um, can't decide between a couple uh, past or present, who would that be and why? Oh, that's an easy question. Uh, Michael Jordan and Steve Jobs. Okay. <laughs> very, very interesting mix there, but I like it. So Michael Jordan is probably, um, if you were to classify him, uh, um, in my mind anyway, kind of a, uh, a psychopath when it comes to competitivism. And so it would be awesome to ask him questions as to how his brain works in those moments. And I think that being competitive is extremely useful, especially when you can turn it on and off. And as an athlete myself, in growing up watching kind of the later career of Michael Jordan, uh, playing basketball uh, before he went to the Wizards and, and made everything look worse. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, but I, I just think it would be a very interesting conversation if I could sit down and, and have a steak with him and just pick his brain. And then Steve Jobs, I think there's there's no one who's been more compelling in my life than Steve Jobs. I mean, the guy literally, in my opinion, killed himself over being wanting to become uh, memorable. 
So I, I read a little bit of his uh, autobiography. It's not autobiography. His biography that someone did on him. And, um, you know, he, he talks or he had talked to the, the, the writer of the book about how deeply, how deep a void he had of not knowing and not having true parents. He, he was always bothered by the fact that he was adopted, why he was always bothered by the fact that he um, was given up by his parents, even though that his adopted parents explained what the situation was. He felt abandoned. And um, the, the fact that that drove him to do, to become someone important is fascinating to me. Um, and if you look at him from a health standpoint, the, the guy was a fruitarian for a really long time. Um, he was very extreme uh, in his personality and the way he lived his life. And it makes sense, in my opinion, anyways, as much as sad as it is, is that he died as early as he did. He was an extreme person who lived at a 200% speed and he burnt mm -hmm. himself out simply just to become the world's, you know, probably most, uh, at least the modern world's most uh, an effective uh, salesman and inventor of the, mm -hmm. the iPhone. And so anyway, it would be great to have conversations with those two people. Yeah, no doubt. It's just amazing to think that how, talking about Steve Jobs, just how you really have to think so much differently than the rest of the world if you really want to do something that's that great and that's going to leave that much of a lasting impact on society. It's like he couldn't, he couldn't just look at what success was and, you know, in the scope of what people thought, he really had to look beyond himself and beyond the scope of just society as a whole. Absolutely. And, and you realize too, when, when you think about his, you know, whether you watched the movie and that was enough for you or read the book, what you realized was, is he was so passionate about making sure that people enjoyed what he produced. Like that's all he cared about. He didn't care about the logistics. He didn't care about, you know, the, how the gears work. He wanted people to like him so bad that he literally killed himself over making sure that people remembered that Apple computers were thinking about them first. And it's brilliant marketing. If you look in sales and you look at marketing, that's the strategy that is the most successful. No doubt. Yeah, I remember the most interesting thing I ever heard about Steve Jobs was that he had never really allowed his kids to use like the iPad or the iPhone um, or any of that stuff much at all, just because he realized how addictive it was. And that was, I thought, one of the other interesting things, maybe you can speak to knowing a little bit more about him, but it's like, I think he was probably a little bit can, um, convicted with himself because he knew what a asset that he was bringing to people, but he also knew how it could be used wrongly and be so addictive and kind of harmful in a sense as well. Well, absolutely. It's, it's basically the same uh, line of thinking that I would take with breakfast cereal and my own kids. I don't have kids mm -hmm. right now, but you know, yeah, I ate breakfast cereal when I was a kid, but I know a lot more about the detrimental effects long-term that that might cause kids that eat breakfast cereal every single day because of the sugar mm -hmm. content. So yeah, I think that, I think that while we, we all tend to, you know, obviously he invented, or he, at least he had a huge critical part in the iPad, but yeah, I think that that was a very noble thing for him to do considering he had invented something for people and realized that, wow, this is, this is probably not a good idea for children because of that same thing. Yeah. I, I think that, 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 that's a really interesting aspect to him. And it, it shows that he had, had a heart because a lot of people think that he was kind of this, this cruel, um, uh, like businessman. And it definitely, mm -hmm. that was definitely a majority of his personality, but it all came from a passion. It was a, it was a passion that he didn't really necessarily control with an empathetic mindset when it came to who he worked with necessarily. And again, I'm not an expert on Steve Jobs, but this is my perception based on 
you know, all the things that we've been able to learn about him since he's passed. Yeah, for sure. Last question here. Um, years, years and years down the road when you're old and gray and you're starting to reach the end and you're reflecting on your life, what do you want your story to be? The story that you tell people and the story that people tell about you? Uh, yeah, so I think since I've, about two years in, as I became a personal trainer, I think one of the things that I really set out to do was to be someone who greatly impacts the obesity and the diabetes epidemic. Um, and I think the reason why that's been such a goal for mine is because I think it's as stepping back, understanding everything that goes into it and, and still learning about a lot of the things that have to do with the psychology of, of improving yourself. I think that that is the biggest population of people that aren't being helped and they've, they, that they've either been, uh, been put in a position where they're predisposed to being more vulnerable to developing that disease and that condition or they're simply people that don't know any better, that don't know what to do, and, and are, in my experience anyway, have been not helpless in the sense that they, they can't actually do it, but nobody's willing to step up and say, you need to do this, and you need to fix mm-hmm. this, and, and, and be a real kind of, I guess the best way of putting it is be the judgmental father in their lives that, that doesn't care about whether they like them or not, but cares about their well-being. And um, I'm not saying that I want to eradicate diabetes. I think there's plenty of people that are out there in the medical field and and that know more, way more than I do that are going to be able to do that. But I want to do my part, um, whatever, however much that is and, and how, what, to whatever capacity that is, I, I want to be a part of that movement because I really think that if we're going to evolve into the next phase of, of human existence, whatever that might be, we have to solve this problem first. Um, and we have to come to terms with realizing that nobody's going to solve it, but ourselves, um, the corporations don't care about you. Um, mm-hmm. people outside of your immediate family, they don't care about you. They are about making money. So you have to take it into your own hands. Health is not automatic anymore. It's actually, mm-hmm. it's almost like having a second job. So that's, that's my mission statement, so to speak. Uh, it's a very grandiose mission statement, but to mm-hmm. me, it's, it, you know, if you're it's either go big or you go home, so you might as well yeah, try absolutely. to shoot for the stars. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the tough thing now is like, there's so much misinformation out there and there's so much like we talked about immediately available uh, things that are going to be a detriment to your health. You really do have to work and it takes a lot of effort to kind of combat that stuff and and really live a healthy lifestyle. But it definitely is achievable if you uh, are willing to learn the right things and, you know, get a coach and different things like that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So wrapping up here, uh, just want to say thanks Shane for coming on the show today, sharing your story. Uh, you want to go ahead and um, give some final words and tell people where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, just want to say thanks for inviting me, Jake. This was awesome. I don't know if you guys could tell, but I like to talk. So this is always fun for me. Um, but the best place, honestly, to go is Instagram at Shane Hubbard Fit. Um, the reason for that is because I'm changing my website over. I'm changing kind of everything over to this new name own name it's much easier to find so if you guys want to go there you can get everything you need to know about me uh my website that'll eventually be there if you follow me on Insta, that's the best place to start and then you'll get updated on websites and all that good stuff all righty well thanks again for coming on and uh look forward Thank to you, sir. talking again all righty